so good to see everyone here today. We're going to test your movie trivia here in a minute with your neighbor. So I've got 11 characters that I'm going to put up on the screen. And you only have one second each, that's two seconds per character, to tell your neighbor who the character is. Okay? You ready? Take a deep breath. Okay, here we go. Character number one. One, two. Good. Two. Mm-hmm. Three. Aha. Uh -huh. This one's easy. Four. You said that too gleefully. Five. Mm. Six. Seven. Oh, eight. Mm-hmm. Nine. Two of you know that. Uh, <laughs> ten. Yeah, that's a dark character. Eleven. Remember that guy? Claw. There you go. One, one or two of you remember that. Now, what do... Don't have conversations about the movies during church now. But what do um, every single one of these characters have in common? Every single one of them what? A villain, right? But every single one of them are the arch enemy of someone that stands for good or something that is good. Every single one of them. So... Keep that in the back of your mind because today we're telling a story about an arch enemy. And before we go there, understand as we do this, we are answering the question, what is church? Now when you say what is church, I don't want you to walk away and say, oh, well, that wasn't, that was, I understand what church is. The whole idea behind this, if you've been with us since January, actually the end of December of 2020, we have been answering the question of what is church? And it's something to not come here and saying, okay, that was nice to know, but it is to be applied to your life and acted upon on the things that we answer. And so far what we have seen is Church is a place where the Holy Spirit sets a group of people on fire for Him. And so we've seen that in this description. We've also seen that there is a growing number of disciples that are taking place beyond the original 11. And then added one more, and then more and more after that. We've also seen crazy radical generosity that we cannot comprehend that people selling their lands, bringing that money to the church to support the needs of the local community within the church, some radical generosity. We've also seen that there is an increase of crazy amounts of baptisms. And in the middle of all of that, there is persecution that is starting to grow. And there is also 
the first witness of a good friend of the people who started the church that got murdered right in front of them, stoned to death. That was last month. We talked about that. And today, we talk a little bit about this archenemy that emerges in the story of the beginning of the church. So, I want to share this as a warning. Wherever God is moving powerfully, wherever God is moving powerfully, Satan always swoops in to do three things. To destroy, to divide, and to dismantle. I was talking with a group of kids last night, and they added another D word, which is distraction. I thought that was good. So Satan always swoops in when God is moving powerfully. Apply that to your marriage. Apply that to your family. Apply that, for those of you that are parents, to your children. Whenever God is moving powerfully, Satan comes in to divide, destroy, and dismantle. Whatever is good, this is what he uses. And the means of what he uses is he will use anything. So what we know is Satan will use anyone, he will use anything, and oh, go ahead and peel this onion. He will use any topic to divide, to destroy, and to dismantle. I can sit up here and just say one or two words that will split this group like that. Just play around on Facebook for a while. Because he will use any topic. And by the way, he will always, he will also use people. People that seem sincere. People that seem passionate. People that seem holy. Satan will even use them to destroy, divide, and dismantle the body of Christ, which is the church, which is the bride of Christ. So what we need to know is that we need to be hyper-vigilant as we are answering this question and applying these things into our own spiritual lives, hyper-vigilant and clear that there will always emerge an archenemy amongst us when we are trying to move to God closer and more passionate and more committed, always. So we just have to be clear on that. And when we see that emerge, we need to call it out and fight it. We don't fight it like you would think, but you fight it on your knees. It's a different type of a battle. And it's not our victory, it's God's victory. But it will always happen. It's happened in your life, it's happened in your family, it's happened in your children, and it happens in churches across the world. And it's been happening since the very beginning of church. Satan will swoop in and try to destroy, divide, and dismantle. And let's just throw out the other one, distract. It's always happening. So the arch enemy of the church emerges in Acts chapter 9. And this was a guy that we were introduced very briefly 
during the stoning of Stephen, who was apparently the coat holder of all the rock throwers. And they had had his approval for the murder of Stephen. And his name is Saul. In verse 1, here we start the story. Saul was still breathing out, still meaning that it was happening before and it continues to happen again and again and again. So Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I love that Luke uses, Dr. Luke, who wrote this book, uses such descriptive language of breathing out murderous threats just to show that Saul was terrorizing the church in a very bloody way. Continues, he went to the high priests. He wanted jurisdiction over a bigger part of of the area, not just Jerusalem, but now he wants to go into other cities. So he wants jurisdiction. And so he goes and he asks for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found, if he found anyone who belonged to the way, that was what the church was. That was, if you want to say that, well, what denomination were they? They were followers of Jesus, but they kind of called themselves the way. And, and whether they were men or women, that he might take them back to Jerusalem and put them into prison. He didn't care who they were. Saul did whatever he could do to destroy Christianity. And Saul's fanaticism, his passion, his fervor, had, he had become a brutal man in the process of this. And so he continues in verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey... It doesn't give a time, but I love the Bible because it answers the Bible's questions sometimes. If you jump to Acts chapter 22, Paul, now Paul, is actually telling the story of when he was Saul, and he actually says, I was headed to Damascus at high noon. So now we know what time it is. And that time is important because suddenly a light from heaven at noon, high noon, flashed around him. So there was something that was brighter than the sun that flashed around this man named Saul. Verse 4 says, he fell to the ground in a position of surrender, in a position of submission. He fell to the ground, and he heard the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, he answers, who are you, what does he say? Lord, there is something here that is divine. It's bigger than me. It's something that I don't understand. I'm going to surrender and be in a posture of, uh, in a position of complete surrender and submission to whatever this giant light that put me on the ground startled me, and now I'm asking in respect, Lord, who are you? And the voice responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Imagine that confrontation. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul could not have been more committed to destroying the followers of Jesus. And now he is confronted with 
the resurrected Jesus to block his way to execute his plans to put Jesus' followers into prison. Then Jesus gives some instruction to him in verse 6. Now get up. Go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling, Paul's entourage, traveling with Saul, stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand, could you imagine the humiliation, into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything, anything. Now, this is a confession time here in this room. How many of you in this room is bullheaded stubborn? Raise your hand. Bullheaded stubborn. There's one. One bullheaded stubborn and the rest of you are liars. There are so many liars in this room. We need confession time seriously in Jesus. So if you're a stubborn, bullheaded, stubborn mule, so I don't know if Deborah were to come up here and we were to talk, have a conversation of who would be more stubborn. I, I don't know. We're both pretty stubborn. But I believe that Paul's personality, he was bullheaded stubborn. And so when you think about the kind of individual Saul was, you realize that it could have been only this shocking, soul-crushing experience that could have reached him. Because if you're stubborn and you're bullheaded, it takes a lot more to convince a person like me, that is stubborn, that okay, this makes sense, but it takes a while. And I think for Paul's, Saul's personality, this is what happened. And understand this, at this moment, Saul is an absolute broken man. And there is a difference here. There is a difference from your own personal choices that break you as a person and when God breaks you as a person. And I can't get into the thick of that, but I would love to have conversations with anybody that's like, well, what's the difference? There's a huge difference. But when God breaks you, which is this situation, he always sends a person to restore you. It's just the case over and over again. When God breaks you, he will always send a person to restore you. And in walks to the scene of this story, this man named Ananias. And I want you to be careful because there's three Ananiases in the book of Acts alone. One of them's already dead because he lied. The other one's the high priest. And then there's this Ananias who is the Ananias of a disciple in the city of Damascus. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, that's the address, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he sees a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So this assignment to Ananias seemed 
clearly dangerous because there was always, there was already the reputation of Saul had gone through all of the believers. And Saul knew this. I mean, Ananias knew this. And he even says, Lord, having a conversation with the Lord. Have you ever had one of those? Lord, uh, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You sure you want me to go do that with that crazy man? Saul's pleading here. I mean, Ananias is pleading here. I do not want to go near him. So his fear is reasonable, but you'll see here in a minute that he chooses obedience over fear. He chooses obedience over fear. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, this is mind-blowing right now. I mean, this is a conversion story. I mean, think of how evil a person would be to do what that person did to the people of God in the early church. And all of a sudden, tables have turned. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and the kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And in the coming months, we will find out how much Paul suffered for the name of Jesus. But it's hard to imagine that the, the one who had done so much damage to the church could be so drastically transformed in that moment. So then Ananias shows up, walked into the address, placing his hands on Saul. Hmm. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road, and as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. Every young follower of Jesus needs an Ananias. For those of you who have been coming to church for years and years and years, you are what, you're, what, what is called a, a little bit more of a mature Christian. You are an Ananias type. Do you know what Ananias means, the name? That was his Greek name, by the way. His Hebrew name was Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious. Isn't that beautiful? Such cool names in the Bible days. They meant something. And so when Ananias placed his hands on this young believer for the first time, it was as if it was the gracious hands of God. We need mature believers that have depth spiritually to be Ananiases to young followers of Jesus, willing to place your hands on those individuals to pray blessing over them. 
Immediately, verse 18, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was, what? Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This man who is so far from God now baptized in the name of Jesus, the one that he was persecuting. And after taking some food, he regained strength. In every way, Saul was an unlikely candidate to be part of God's work. In every way. How'd you like a guy like that? All of a sudden, a conversion, a, a, a ten minute conversion, or well, three days, I guess, and then a little bit afterwards, to become our head elder. Would you trust him? I mean, this is what happened here. It's crazy. But it's just like Jesus to take something which is seemingly unusable and use it for his purpose. So listen carefully. No one is too much of a sinner. No one has too much baggage. No one has too much shame. No one has too much embarrassment, darkness, hurt, pride, or ego, or selfishness to be used by God for his purpose. No one. God can and will and wants to be able to use every single person in this room, regardless of your past. And I want to tell you something. Listen carefully. Because there's a lot of us in this room that Sometimes when we start to commit to something spiritually, for some reason, spiritual insecurity sets in. And there is a spiritual insecure question that is a satanic lie that starts to emerge. And you start to say, well, how can I be used by God for what I have done in the past what I am doing in the present, and what I will do in the future is a downright satanic lie. Because if you're willing and your heart is moved and it's changing and you want to go towards God, he wants to use you for the glory of God. Do not let your present circumstances, your past situations, ever eliminate you in your thinking to move towards what God has called you to do. It's spiritual insecurity. It's a satanic lie. God's power to transform lives is beyond comprehension. And Jesus will never forsake us no matter how sinful we are. He waits ready to redeem us in this very moment. But more importantly, he waits to use us. He wants each of us to play a part in sharing his story with the world. And the way that that works is that God's story converges with your story and changes your life, and then you share that with the world. I don't know how long some of you have been around Forest Lake Church, but you heard our, our vision at the very beginning that Lizette shared, a passion for God, a passion for people, a passion to serve the world. We also have these values 
um, that kind of drive who we are as a culture. We've got five values. Out of those five values, there's a really important one, and it's called testimony. It's the story of God moving into a person's life and that story being told. So you heard an ancient conversion story of somebody who seemed unusable by God, confronted in the face by Jesus himself to now be the voice of the gospel to the world. So I want you to hear a modern story. And I asked a couple of our elders several weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, and just said, um, you know, I'm doing this sermon on Paul. This is powerful conversion story. Do anybody have, uh, do anybody know a person that would be willing to share their personal story of how they came to Jesus? So two weeks ago, I called up a young lady by the name of Val. She's here with us today, and she's super brave because she's going to stand before all of you. And she's going to share her testimony, her story, and God's story converging into his story. So make her a little bit more comfortable as she comes forward and give her a hand. So I just want to give you a heads up. I want you to be super nice to her. She's not Forest Lake Church member. So fake it and be super nice to her. Um, She is absolutely on fire for Jesus. And um, we have met in the flesh maybe once. I've talked to you on the phone more than I've talked to you in person. But I'm going to give this time to you because I... She's pretty emotional about this, and what she doesn't know is when she was telling me her story and God's story becoming one story, I'm on the other line side doing what she's doing right now. So, please, you want me to have prayer for you? (laughs) Father God, just want to pray for Val in this moment as she shares her story and your story becoming one story. I pray that right now in this moment, in this audience, online or in the flesh, that somebody will find that they have a desperate need for Jesus to be in their life. Calm her, Lord, and may her words be from above. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hi, everyone. My name is Val. Um, I started going to church in 2019, in September, my birthday month, Um, and I kind of just started driving by a church, and something kept telling me, like, just go, and I'm like, no, I've never been to church, I don't know God, I'm not going to do it. A couple months prior to that, I walked away from a 10-year relationship, I quit a paralegal job, I started serving. And I remember getting to work that day, and the bartender had a bracelet that says, Jesus loves you. And I remember telling her, that's so weird, you have that on. I've never seen that on you. 
I kept driving by church and I just feel like I should go. She's like, do it, it changed my life. So I started going. Um, and then January 2020, I was like, God, I want you to take over and I want you to make my life your life. I'm tired, I can't do this anymore. And I need a break. February 2nd of 2020, I decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> and the best part about that day was not The best part of that day was I got to call my grandma, who is extremely spiritual. She lives in South America, and I'm like, Grandma, I did it. She's like, do you remember what today is? And I was like, it clicked. My cousin, who was killed by a drunk driver, it was his birthday that day. And so I took that as a sign that while his life ended, God gave me new life. So I was unemployed from March 27th, 2020 to October 2nd. And it was the hardest year of my life, but the best year of my life. I found the Sabbath school um, from this church through Ricky Williams. And she introduced me to the best group of people. I started doing Bible study with them and God really began moving in me. He, he helped me land my dream job in October. And since then, life has still been super hard because it never gets easier, but I'm never alone. God has put me in situations where I get to share the mountains he's moved in my life, and that's what he calls us to do. I was nobody. I literally come from a broken home. I wanted to die so many times. And there's so many times I wake up today, and I'm like, God, thank you for never, never letting suicide win. He has changed my entire being. I don't know who I was six months ago. And if you would have asked me if on my 27th birthday, which is today, that I'd be sharing the love, the grace, and the mercy God has bestowed upon me, I would have literally said you were crazy and I have no idea that I would do that. I am so grateful because Pastor Mark said something very interesting. He said, when God breaks, he sends a person to restore. And that is exactly who God is. The last year, my heart has been broken. I've been on my knees in fetal position, crying, pleading to please come because I couldn't do this alone. I don't know what the next step is. And the greatest takeaway is you don't have to do this alone. God gives us people for every 
every, every battle we face. I am so lucky that he changed me and has given me people that love me and support me and have my back no matter what the circumstance is. And if I've learned anything, it has been when trials come your way, when you get hit really hard in the face, just take a step back and ask God just for the next step. We get caught up on wanting to know everything that we should do, but life changes like that. So God says, come to me and just seek me and I will give you the light. I will give you your next step. So if I encourage anyone to do anything today is give it up to him. We're not meant to carry the battles that we face. They're hard, they're heavy, and he wants the absolute best for us. But in order for us to receive the absolute best, we need to ask him what the absolute best is because what we want isn't always what we need. Only God can direct you in the best way possible. And I did want to share that though I come from a broken home, he has restored the relationship with my mom. And it has been the most fruitful relationship. And while the relationship with my dad is not there, I know he's going to get it there because that's who God is. So thank you so much for giving me this stage and allowing me to do this. This is what changes lives. Like this is the faith that you rely on. When you don't have faith, fall back on my story. I was nobody. I still am nobody. God has made me his child. God has given me all the tools that I need and he'll give them to you too. You just have to ask for it. So thank you so much. So Val, I don't know if you know this. You mentioned that there was a friend of yours, Ricky, who invited you to come to her Sabbath school. And today, I don't know if you knew that she got rebaptized this morning. Did you know that? Kirsch told me, actually. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, man, God is absolutely amazing. And I, I do want to ask this. I asked you a question on Thursday, and you sort of alluded to it. And I said, you know, as, as God's story was moving in um, and converging with your story and making it one story, um, who was your Ananias? And you talked about this Sabbath school group. And um, tell me a little bit about, tell this group a little bit about that, because that's how the church needs to move to those that are in the midst of breaking or broken. I prayed for community. I didn't have friends, or I didn't have godly friends. I had a party friends, but I didn't want party friends. I wanted people that drew me cl closer to God. So I began doing Bible study with the Young Sabbath um, School. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, so 
uh, due to COVID, they were doing it on, t on Zoom. So every Tuesday and every Saturday morning, we would do an hour of Bible study. And it really got me to hear, just like my story hopefully inspires someone, it got me to hear from Derek, from Rob, from Malcolm, from Isaiah, from Ricky, from so many people that are just like me, that God just... They follow God, and that's why God's in their lives. And praying for community and being open to whatever, wherever God led, that made the difference. Being able to rely on people that genuinely want to just pray for you. Because the hardest thing about life is we always want an answer, but sometimes prayer is the only answer like you said sometimes you just have to fall on your knees and just talk to God there's some battles that prayer is the only way you beat them and so if you are struggling and you want a small group and you just want consistency I would highly encourage that you guys still join that group I can't do it anymore on Tuesdays because of my um, work schedule, but they are incredible. You will have a family there. It's not, a, it's not friends. It's a family, and that's what God sends you, like you said. Give Val a huge hand. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So you heard an ancient conversion story. A man who is hardened and evil, lost, and you saw him confronted by Jesus. You heard a modern conversion story. Val thinking that she was a nobody. And God said, oh, you are somebody. So I want to challenge this group right now. I want to make, possibly this group will be a little uncomfortable with this. But I just wonder if there is anybody in this room who is a Saul or a Val. Where you're just kind of lost. And you know that you have a desperate need for Jesus. may not be. Right? We might have a bunch of really holy people in this room and then that's it. But I just wonder if somebody here was invited, somebody here just showed up. Maybe the Holy Spirit tugged at your heart. And this is awkward, but if the Spirit of God is moving, I would love for you to come down here in the front and have um, a time of prayer of people praying over you. Here's a second thing. If you see a Saul or a Val type come up front and you are an Ananias, then I would like for you to stand up. Place your hands on their arm or COVID fear, you can put your finger on them. Um, Want to be safe. And just pray. Pray a prayer of blessing over them in this moment. I'm going to leave it at that. If the Spirit of God moves you, 
and you're a Saul or a Val, and you just are in need of God and want God, just come down here. If you're an Ananias, come and pray over them. Father God, in this moment, as we have heard an ancient story and a modern story of conversion, we know that you are in the converting business. You are in the transformation business. And if there are hearts here that need to be reconciled with you, Lord, and there are people that are just living their story, but their heart is being moved and shaken, and they want to move into the story of God and making it one story, I pray by your redemptive power that there will be healing in this moment restoration in this moment and also a point of standing up and saying okay I'm done with my old life I want a new life in Jesus bring that to the forefront here today Lord and whoever may need it we pray this in your name Amen